The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. We've been in a Guess Who's Coming to Dinner series, and this is our last day. Some of you will be glad about that. Some of you, hopefully not all of you. I've really enjoyed uh, studying Christ and uh, all the banquets and all the dinners and all the things that he was involved in. This today, and uh, Jesus is in the middle of a Sabbath day dinner, uh, and it's in Luke chapter uh, 14 is where we'll be, and uh, as many of the dinners we've discussed, it's growing more tense and more tense, uh, and really from the time Jesus entered the room, there was a tension there, and a man came in that was suffering from a physical ailment, and uh, Jesus uh, healed him, and of course it was the Sabbath, and uh, the, uh, the critics there, they began to murmur there and mutter about different things, and uh, Jesus exposed their tendency towards uh, judgmentalism, their pride, their selfishness, uh, and by this point in the meal, the, the supper must have been, uh, the tension must have been unbearable. Uh, so uh, we'll think about that, and where we're going to be is in Luke chapter 14. We'll be down in verse 15 in just a moment. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, you English teachers know how well I spoke, speak English. I speak French also. Did y'all know that? We, oui, I can say we, oui, I can French kiss. That's part of, you know, can't get nobody to let me, but uh, I can do that. And I can say one phrase, responde s'il vous plaît. Pretty good, isn't it? Y'all know what that is, right? It's RSVP. You ever heard RSVP? Respond s'il vous plaît. And uh, so a couple of weeks ago, well, actually a couple of months ago, I got a letter in the mail and uh, said, you're invited to a dinner. And uh this dinner is going to be on this certain night, and uh, it said, please RSVP. Well, I didn't, and I opened the, the, uh, the invitation, and I got to reading it, and it's going to be at the Charleston Sky. And I thought, man, that's right here. You know, I, it's free meals, free steaks, uh, ribeye steaks. And I thought, why not go to that? You know, we're right here. It was on a Tuesday night. We didn't have anything going. So uh, just uh, three days before the meal, I called, and I said, hey, I didn't RSVP, but is it too late to RSVP? She said, oh, no, not at all. How many will there be? I told her there would be two there. And so uh, we went. This was the Long Star Land Bank Appreciation Dinner. Uh, we won $500 at that. Isn't that great? Just by RSVPing and showing up and... Uh, they gave some door prizes away. They gave uh, $50 gift cards, and then they gave $100 gift cards, and then they got to $500 gift cards, and, and uh, we won. And, and uh, that's my Mother's Day present. <laughs> Just thought of that. She's not even in here. I guess she's in the nursery. By the way, guys, if you, uh, if you forgot that today was Mother's Day, I have some baskets for sale for $1,000 apiece. <laughs> Uh, that I'll sell at the end of the service. Nobody will have to know that, but 
Uh, you know, I was thinking about that invitation, and actually when I first got it, I just looked at the card. It said, uh, uh, Lone Star Land, Break, uh, Land Bank has appreciation dinner. I kind of threw it aside, and then uh, at some point I went back and really read about everything that was in there. And uh, like I said, I thought, well, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll just respond and see if it's too late. And uh, today, as we read Luke chapter uh, 14, verse 15, uh, we have a kind of a picture of that. Uh, and then over in Revelation also, we're going to look at a, a great banquet. But thinking about the tension that's in the room, we're thinking about the RSVP that needs to go out and that needed to take place. Jesus tells a parable. Now, I, I said all that to say that there's a, there's a group of people there. The tension is high. And in the middle of this, I can see some, uh, some guy sitting there that just kind of says, I have to change the flow of where this is headed. So in verse 15, it says one of those guys at the table just kind of blurts out, Blessed is the man who will eat the feast of the kingdom of God. You know, he kind of just throwed an amen out there in the middle of what's going on. Blessed is that guy that's going to eat the feast. And, and he tells the man, uh, Jesus, uh, kind of answers that quote or that question to all who was listening. He says this, if you don't accept the invitation that's being given to you right now, you'll find the kingdom, of the, the, the door of the kingdom shut in your face. I mean, Jesus says that, and he tells the parable of the great banquet. And they, they, uh, the reason being, he wanted to really expose the motivation uh, and the desires of those who thought they would, they would be a part of this banquet just because of who they were. Remember, Jesus, a lot of times he's, he's talking to the Pharisees, he's talking to the Sadducees, he's talking about the religious leaders of the time. He's talking to the Jews, and remember this, the Jews, they thought they were going to heaven just because they were Jews. You know, they were part of the promised Messiah. Christ was going to come. He was going to be a Jew, and they, that's why they would always say, hey, we go back to Father Abraham, the, and, and we're a Jew. And, and so they thought, we, we're, going to, we're going to end up uh, in heaven because of those things. And Jesus gives an example here, and he says in verse 16, this is chapter 14, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, he invited many guests at the time of the banquet. He sent out his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first says, I just bought a piece of land or a field. I must go see it. Please excuse me. Then another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered the servant, go out quickly to the streets and to the alleys, to the towns, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still more room. Then the master told his servants, go out in the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And I'll tell you that not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
So when we look at this passage of Scripture, the parable of the great banquet, there's three things I want us to notice this morning, and I'll try to move through these rather quickly, but there are some things I want you to hear, some things I want you to consider. And the first, God is the one who's given the invitation. There in verse 16 and 17, this certain man who gave the great supper, who invited many and sent his servants at supper time to say to those invited, come, for the preparations are made and things are now ready. That represents God in this parable. And, and that certain man of the story is Jesus saying, this is God the Father. He's talking to these Jews. He's talking to these Pharisees there. And, and uh, this, this uh, representation of God it says, you know, I'm, I have this great banquet that I'm preparing. I have these things that, that's going. And God, in many times, he's, in Scripture, he's portrayed as a tyrant, a tyrant or however you say that. He's, he's portrayed as someone who's stern, who's demanding, uh, who, who, if you follow God, it's just a joyless existence. I mean, that's kind of how the Bible and the world uh, paints a picture of God. But if, if, you, uh, if you look at what Scripture says and, and you think about what, what the, the Bible says, even though a lot of Christians think that uh, church is a, a fast, a funeral, or a famine, I mean, we go around so often with that look on our face, the Bible is, is completely opposite of what the world says. If we look in Scripture and, and we, we begin to understand that this is a false view in Isaiah chapter 55, it's, in, it's uh, interesting to me that God invites His people uh, to come to Him and, and not to seek that which does not satisfy, but he, he invites them to come to His table and He says this, "...eat what is good and let your soul delight in abundance." I mean, that's a picture of what the Bible says about God. Now, I want to ask you, what did I just say? I wouldn't answer that either, because I hate when somebody does that. But how many of us just hear something and, you know, we're just kind of here today. We're just kind of here. <laughs> and he's rattling on up there, and we've got 30 minutes left, and we got plans. Listen to what Christ said. This is God the Father speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Come, eat what is good. Listen. And let your soul delight in abundance. That's an amen, folks. That's not a picture of somebody that's at a funeral or a famine or fasting. That's not somebody that has a God that's stern and demanding, that's, that's always uh, uh, trying to have a joyless existence in the church. He says, I want you to come. I want you to gather around my table. I want you to delight in what I have for you. I want you to find joy in what I have you. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son had left home, and when the father came, that's a parable, and that parable is talking about God is the father and he sees that son coming and what does he do he throws a great banquet he says kill the fatty calf get the finest robe put the ring on his finger he that's not a picture of a of a god that wants a joyless existence he said i want my son who was lost who's now found i want him to come i want him to have an abundance a delight in abundance, just like it says in Isaiah. In Revelation 19.10, he says, I'm preparing a great marriage supper of the Lamb of God. That picture of a, of a great supper, that's, that's more than just a, a great supper. When you look at that word, it literally means a mega banquet. 
God has said, hey, I'm going to prepare a mega banquet. It's a great supper because it's been planned. It's been planned in heaven. It's been executed. It's been carried out. And we have an invitation. Isn't that great? I mean, when we look at this, we're not seeing a God that has a desire to keep us oppressed and for us to have a joyless existence in life. We're looking for a God, and and we have a God that says, hey, I want you to be a part of a great supper. I want you to be a part of an abundant life. I want you to come and and gather around and eat that which is good, and I want your soul to delight in the abundance that I have for you. That's the picture of the invitation. And, and as we think about these, these, uh, these invitations that we see in Scripture, I said we'll explain this. In the Old Testament, two invitations went out. Now, we do that more and more today. Do you ever get anything in the mail that says, hey, save the date? You know, it may be three months down the road. It may be six months down the road. But you, you, get, a little, you get a little card or something in the mail, and it says, save the date. This is coming. And then at some point in the future, you may get something that says, hey, you're invited to come attend this banquet or this event, whatever it may be. Well, in Christ's day, of course, there were no telephones. There, were, there was not a mail service. So when a banquet was being prepared, uh, the servants would go out and they would go around to the countryside and they'd say, hey, save the date. This banquet's being prepared. Save the date. There wasn't clocks. They didn't have things like we had to keep up. There wasn't an Outlook calendar that would send them a reminder right before it was time. It, they, would, they would simply say, hey, here in, you know, at, the, at the new harvest, the king has got this plan, so save that date. And that's why it says that there were preparations had been made, and the king said, now go out and invite the guests. So the first invitation had already been set that, that there's, a, there's a time coming, and the second invitation is this, it's ready. The party's fixing to begin, and, and it's time for you to come in. Now, I don't know, have you ever, have you ever made a, a big meal, or you prepared for a bunch of people to come eat and nobody shows up? Would that not aggravate you? If you've made all these preparations, you, you went and you smoked a brisket and you made potato salad and you've got all this food and, and nobody shows up. But, you know, you might get angry enough just to throw it out to the hogs, mightn't you? Well, fine. I just, See if I invite them again. I mean, just, but, but that's the picture here. There's a great banquet made. The, the party's beginning. All the preparations are made. And the host says, come, for now it's time. The banquet is ready in verse 17. Throughout Israel's history, God's first invitation came through Moses. This is Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. The the first invitation came through Moses and the prophets. The second invitation came through his son, Jesus Christ. So, So as we see this parable, we see there's some truth in the invitation. The first came through Moses and the prophets. The second invitation came through Jesus Christ, which was the second part that says, hey, it's ready. The Messiah's here. The, the, the preparations are made and come and be a part of that. So, so the first is this, God is the one extending the invitation. The second is this, God's invitation can be refused. It can be refused. And, and since the invitation to comes in verse 17, it, it kind of suggests the responsibility of, of, of God giving the invitation and it's the person's responsibility to respond. So, so when we think about that, we have a, an invitation, and it's our, it's our uh, part on us to respond to that invitation. And, and those who accept the invitation, three of those, now they had said originally, hey, we'll be there. 
Remember that first invitation that came out? And, and if we put this in context of the, of the Jewish people, hey, we want to come to heaven. We, we want to be there. We, we'll be a part of that. And then when Christ came, that second part of the invitation that came, and, and the excuses began. Now, here's something I want you to hear this morning. The people that rejected this invitation, they, they were not bad activities that, that were their excuses. They weren't involved in some kind of bad excuses. They, they simply thought they had more important things to do. And folks, today, I want us to think that most of the people today that rejects God's invitation... Most of the people today that we can look around and, and we miss their presence here today, it's not because of some kind of gross immorality. It's not because they're involved in some wicked sin. It's simply the fact that they're too involved with everyday affairs. They're too involved with, with life and, and too involved with the things of today than to be too serious about spiritual things. When we look at these three, these three excuses, I think we can find our world today. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to repeat it. Most of the time, people that refuse the invitation are not involved in some kind, of, some kind of gross immorality. I think it's important that we understand that because that's where the ideal comes from of, hey, I'm not that bad. Y'all heard that? Y'all thought that? You said that? Hey, I'm really not that bad. See, that, that, that's, that's, you're not that bad. But remember, we're all broken from the fall. We've all, we've all fallen short of God's plan for us. So, so here's the, 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 uh, the, uh, the invitation goes out. Here's the excuses beginning in verse 10. They all with one accord. In other words, they all at one time begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I must go see it. Please let me be excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and, and I'm going to test them. I ask you uh, to have me excused. Still another said, I've just married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And so they, the Bible says with one accord they begin to make excuses. They were in, they were in the, the excuse business and they were making excuses about why we can't come to the banquet. And all three of these excuses were, were kind of the same essence and, and they're, they're kind of the same thing. And so let's, let's look at these three and, and let's think about uh, what they do and how they fit into our society today. The first is this, we make excuses because we're preoccupied with things. Now this takes a little thinking on our part, but this first man, he has some things that he's preoccupied with. He says, I bought a piece of ground. I need to go see it. Please excuse me. It doesn't indicate that he didn't already have this piece of land, that he hadn't already purchased this piece of land. He wanted to go look at it, but when is this for? It's for the evening meal. So he's making an excuse for something that he really can't even do because can he go look at a piece of land in the darkness? I mean, that's when the evening meal would have been. It was, it's unlikely that he could see it now. So this invitation to supper and the evening meal, he said, you know what? It's not that I've not already seen it. I've got this, I'm preoccupied with these things. I, I've bought this new piece of land and, and I ask that you just excuse me. And the sad part of that is, is I think those who are, who are preoccupied with possessions, they, they settle for the, the things that are most important. 
They, they settle for not the things that are most important. They settle for less than God's best. And they say, hey, I'm really interested in this. And, and they begin to make excuses. Here's the second one. We make excuses because we put making a living before God. Now, where do you see that? Well, we see that in verse 19. The man said, I have bought four, five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. Please have me excused. Simply for the fact of him buying five, five oxen, tells us that he's a wealthy guy, okay? If you go and study that, if he has enough land that he needs five oxen, he, he has a lot of land. So he's preoccupied with saying, hey, I've got to make a living first. I, I've, he had five times the average land of an average, loan, uh, an average landowner during this time. He was, he was absorbed in, in making more and gaining more and getting more. And, and just think about today, how often do we hear that excuse? You know, I have these things, I have this, and, and I have to do these things. Folks, I know there's times that, that we have to go and we have to be involved in our jobs on Sunday, and the Bible even says, hey, if the if an ox is in the ditch, you have to go get him out sometimes. There's times that we have to be involved, but, but when that becomes an excuse before a living God, we see that, that it's real easy to do, that, that those first two ideals, they have to do with material possessions. They have to do with preoccupied by other things, saying, hey, I want to put my living before my relationship with God. The third excuse we make is we, we choose to put others before God. I think this is kind of funny. This guy says, I've just married a wife, therefore I cannot come. They are newlyweds, aren't they? I mean, you can tell. He's saying, I can't, I can't leave her. And, and that, that really represents the person that the domestic cares of the day, those domestic cares, the responsibilities of being at home, the responsibilities of, of meals, the, the, the responsibility of, of just the home care becomes an excuse. It becomes an excuse that says, you know what, I, I have some things, I have family obligations, and, and I need to be involved in them. Those are the, that's that third excuse we find. And, and many today in our world, that when we're invited to that gospel, uh, that gospel feast, we, we come up with these different excuses. And you know what? They sound good. I mean, all of these are pretty good excuses. Hey, hey, hey I've bought some land. I want to go look at it. I want to go be a, uh, work on a little. And other guys, hey, you know, really, I need to work today. I, I, I really can't come and be a part of that. Or, or hey, I have, uh, I have these family things going on. I need to really take care of those things today. And, and in our mind, they, they really become pretty good excuses. But really what those are is they're... Their self-interest, and, and really today our, our lives are permeated by self-interest. In other words, whatever we have, whatever we desire the most, it, it, it becomes our best interest, and we say, hey, I'll just make excuses. That's fine. We can make excuses, but I want you to notice something. My last point is this. Excuses angered God. Now think about this. How often do we think about God becoming angry? We don't think about that very often, do we? But right here in Scripture, this parable, we see that God becomes angry. Look at verse 21. The servant came back and reported to his master, Hey, we have all these excuses. And the owner of the house became angry. I think it's important for us to remember, when we make those excuses, as good as we may think they sound, we're not letting the church down. We're not letting the pastor down. We're not, we're not letting the, the other members down. There's an element of that. But we need to realize we're making excuse to God the Father. 
I think sometimes we lose fact of that truth, that, that our excuses, they're going before God the Father. They're not simply going before Brother Jake, or they're not simply going before somebody in the church. It's saying, God, I have an excuse, and here's my excuse. And the Bible says, so he became angry, and then in verse 21 and following, so the servant reported these things to the master, the master of the house became angry, and he said, go out and, and invite these others. So as God became angry, he was angry about the, the rejecting of his his wonderful costly gift over in hebrews 2 3 think about the, the what this feast cost I, I mentioned a while ago if if we go and we prepare a huge feast there's a cost in this isn't there i mean there's a there's a huge cost we used to uh cook it at chigger fest when we had the chigger fest and i remember about the third year that we cooked we went and and we bought about uh, fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars worth of worth of meat and different stuff to come to the chigger fest we do the same thing when we have a, a track meet so you go spend two thousand dollars for for stuff for the track meet and then what are you thinking man if it rains if the weather turns off bad if Nobody shows up. If we have to cancel for some things, uh, this was costly. I mean, how much did it cost us to, to, to buy all of these supplies? But in Hebrews, it really talks, talks about the cost, how, 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 how costly this meal is. Hebrews 2, 3 says, He reflects the brightness of God's glory and the exact likeness of God's own Son, sustaining the universe with His powerful Word. After achieving forgiveness for all the sins of human beings, He went and sat down in heaven at the right side of God, the supreme power. That's talking about Jesus Christ. He paid the ultimate price for this marriage supper of the Lamb. He gave His life. He, he didn't spend $2,000 on briskets and supplies. He, he gave his own life's blood to prepare for this feast. And then he looks at his creation and he says, I want you to come and be a part of my feast. I want you to come and, and I want you to be a part of this marriage supper of the Lamb. It was very costly. It cost my only son his life and his life's blood. And then we see people that made excuses to simply say, you know, I have other things that will fill in for that. Because of his anger, he says, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the lame and the blind. That first invitation, you know who that's for? That first invitation is for the Jews. They were the chosen people of God. That's the one that the invitation went out to and, and they all came back with excuses. You know who the, the blind and the maimed and the lame are? That's us. He said, okay, the Jews have denied me. The Jews have turned their backs on me. So, so this invitation, now it goes to the Gentiles. So he says, go and, and invite those in. That's us. That's, that's the Gentiles. And the Bible says that we're living in the age of the church. We're living in the age of the Gentiles. We're living in that age when Jesus Christ is still extending an invitation to us. The Bible says there's going to be a time that the age of the Gentiles ends. And that's going to be in Revelation during the, the Great Tribulation. And at that time, the Jews... 
That's what the tribulation is for in Revelation. The Jews will be punished and the Jews will turn back to Christ. And then that invitation will be for the Jews again and the, the time of the Gentiles has stopped. But does that mean nobody will be saved? A Gentile would be saved? No, it doesn't mean that, but it'll mean the Holy Spirit's not going to be striving with the Gentiles as, they, as he does today. So that invitation sent out to us during this time. This, this guy named Tommy, Tony Campolo, I don't know who he is, he tells a story of a, of a trip which he took to Hawaii. He says jet lag kept him awake late into the night, so he went for a walk on the streets of Honolulu. At 2 in the morning, he found himself in a donut shop sitting around the counter. He overheard several prostitutes that were there in a booth, and they were talking. And one of the girls' names, one of the girls there's name was Ainge, uh, she mentioned that it was her birthday. And after she had left, says Tony turned to the cook and the other prostitutes and said, let's throw a party for Ainge. The other girls agreed to bring decorations and the cook said that he'd bake a cake. And the next night, they all gathered in the shop and when the Ainge walked in, they brought out the cake. They began to sing happy birthday and tears streamed down her face. And when it came time to cut the cake, she just stood there and she finally said, could I buy another cake and, and we'll eat that one because I want to take this cake home and show it to my mother. With that, she took the cake and she left. And in all of the silence that, that filled the shop afterwards, Tony said he, he bowed his head and he began to pray, Lord, I want to thank you for Angel for her for your love for her. Because you loved her enough to send your son that he might die on the cross. And we thank you for the, the best present of all, the present that you gave us in your own son, Jesus Christ. Amen. He says when he raised his head, he, he saw the other prostitutes there and they had had their heads bowed and they had been praying along with him. And the cook looked at him and he said, you're a preacher. And Tony says, I admitted that I was. And the cook said, well, what kind of church do you have? Some of you may have already thought that. What kind of guy would this be? Why would he be involved in this? And in the, he says, in the suddenness, in the flash of insight, I replied, we're the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes and gives invitations to sinners. See, that's what Christ did. He, he said, okay, Jews, the invitation now goes out to the Gentiles. You know, that's why he was put on the cross. He didn't fit into that mold of, of that Jewish person that, that they were looking for. And, and we go on in the parable in verse 22, and the servant said, Master, it has been done as you've commanded, but there's still room. And the, and the master said to the servants, go into the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. It's interesting to note that the, the first invitation was to come. And in the second invitation, we see in verse 21, it was to bring them in, bring in those blind and lame. Not, not the rejected lower class of Israel were invited, but all of those, all of those were invited Go out into the highways to the hedges and compel them to come in. Then in closing words, Jesus' words there in verse 24, it says this, For I say to you that none of these men who are invited shall taste of my supper. You know, most, most certainly as he told this parable, remember he's talking to this group of people at this banquet. 
he's, he's, he's talking at this meal, and there's a group of people there. And he says, those who gave the excuse. Now, you know, each of them sitting around, they, they had their excuses. And he said, not one of these, and these Jews that have denied me will, will come into my banquet. That's what he's talking about. And can't you imagine that dark cloud that came over that room? And the, the silence that must have came over that room as they sat, as they thought about that. See, they received two invitations. First from the prophets, then from the person in the message of Jesus Christ, but they would not accept it. I, I found this story, and I've mentioned this before, but I actually ended up finding it. If you would, take your Bibles, and I want to get you to turn to one other place. In Revelation, we're going to go over to Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> Y'all may have heard of Ruth Anna Metzger. She's a professional singer. Uh, she tells a story that uh, really illustrates uh, the importance of having our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Bible says when we accept Christ, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. She says, Several years ago, she was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. According to the invitation, the reception would be held at the top two floors of Seattle Columbia Tower, Northwest's tallest skyscraper. She and her husband, Roy, were excited about attending. At the reception, says the waiters wore tuxedos. They offered luscious horse divers. <laughs> uh, who would, how would you spell hors d'oeuvres? You know, horse divers, H-O-R-S-D-O-V-E-R-S. They, they offered luscious horse divers and fancy foods. Uh, the bride and the groom, they approached a beautiful glass and brass staircase that led up to the top floor. Someone ceremoniously cut a, a satin ribbon. It's draped across the bottom of the stairs. And they announced the wedding feast is about to begin. And the bride and groom ascended the stairs, followed by all their guests. At the top of the stairs, a maitre d' with a, a bound book greeting the outside guest at the doors would say, May I have your name, please? As she and her husband stepped up to the door to enter the banquet, she said, I am Ruth Anna Metzger and my husband Roy. He searched the M's. He said, I'm not finding that. Would you please spell it? <clears throat> Ruth Anna said she spelled her name slowly, and after searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name's not here. There must be some mistake, Ruth Anna said. She replied, I'm the singer. I sing at the wedding. The gentleman answered, doesn't matter who you are or what you did, Without your name written in the book, you can't attend the banquet. He mentioned to the waiter and said, uh, show these people uh, to the service elevator, please. Boy, how humbling is that? From the, from the glass, crystal, golden staircase to the back elevator exit. It says the Metzgers followed the waiter past the beautiful decorated tables laden with shrimp and whole smoked salmon, a magnificent carved ice sculptures, 
adjacent to the banquet, banquet area was an orchestra preparing to perform. All the musicians dressed in dazzling white tuxedos. The waiter led Ruth Anna and Roy to the service elevator, ushered them in, and pushed G for garage parking. After locating her car and driving several miles in silence, Roy reached over and put his hand on Ruth Anna's arm and said, Sweetheart, what happened? She said, Oh, when the invitation arrived, I was so busy, I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was the singer. Surely, I didn't need to RSVP for the reception. I was the singer. Then she says she started to cry, not only because she had missed the most lavish banquet that she had ever been invited to, but also she happened to get a small taste of what it'll be like someday for people as they stand before Christ, as they find their names not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and she ends that with, for heaven's sakes, have you made your reservations? In Revelation chapter 19, back up in verse 6, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, a roar of rushing waters, loud peals of thunders, and shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God reigns. Let us rejoice. Let us be glad. Let us give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. The wedding, the Lamb, is Jesus Christ. The bride is the church, that's us, those who have accepted Christ. Fine linen, bright and clean, have been given to us to wear. That's the blood of Jesus Christ that, that covers us, that makes us clean and pure. For the linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, this is John as he's writing, write down, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. John fell at his feet and began to worship. And he said, do don't do it because I'm a fellow servant of yours. John began to worship the angel there. He said, I'm a fellow of the servants of yours, and one of your brothers holds only the testimony. Worship God. I only hold the testimony of Jesus Christ, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I want you to bow your heads. I want to ask you, have you RSVP'd? Guess who's coming to dinner? Guess who received the invitation? That's us. We receive the great invitation. God has offered it to us, the, a mega banquet. He says, I've, I've expared no expense. It's been purchased with a great price. The prophets told about the one who'd come. That's the first invitation. And now Jesus Christ himself says, all preparations are made. The meal's ready. There's a spot for you at the table. Come as you are. Take your place at the table. Father, I pray this morning that we would know the invitation is open to us. Father, I pray this morning that we'd know you're the one who's 
sent the invitation that when we are preoccupied with self, so often we lay that invitation aside and say, you know, I'll get to that. Eventually I'll, I'll feel that. Eventually I'll give a call. Fathers, we see from your parable those who rejected Christ of that invitation, they never received an opportunity to call just a few days before and say, hey, is it too late? But Father, today we know that today is a day of salvation. Father, today we know the day is the day of the Gentiles. Father, we know today that there's time. Father, I pray as your spirit would move, as your spirit would woo each of us, Lord, that we would respond to your invitation as we look forward to that great banquet that's prepared, a prepared place for a prepared people. Lord, I pray that we'd know that we don't come when we've got all our ducks in a row with all our things straightened out, when we, when we finished up and got a good life going. We come just as we are simply on the merit that we received an invitation, broken, lame, blind, in the highways, in the hedges. We, we don't have to clean up for the supper, but you've invited us just as we are. Lord, I pray that we'd come to you just as we are. And then, Father, we'd allow you to clothe us with your righteousness. In Jesus' name.